0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Discovery Church in Bristol, Tennessee. For more information about Discovery or for more free audio content, please visit DiscoveryBristol.com. So, we've been working through the book of Mark. Our text today is from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to just read the whole thing, then we're going to dive into it. So it begins As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethany and Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went out and found a colt outside in the street, tied in a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, Why are you doing? What are you doing? Untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, he threw and threw their cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the field. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This time of Passover in Jerusalem was a big deal. Pilgrims came from all over the Jewish region and, and outside countries. They came to to be in Jerusalem during Passover, to be part of a celebration, to be part of the excitement. Uh, it, it was religious. It was also a family gathering, a family reunion. People, friends that you hadn't seen in a long time, you were back together with them again. And so the, they believe the, the population of Jerusalem tripled in size during the time of the Passover. This is the picture that we have of Jesus heading to Jerusalem. He's headed to Jerusalem along with thousands and thousands of other people, pilgrims from all over are, are converging on Jerusalem, and this is the picture that we get. The, the journey that Jesus is on with the disciples, with, with the rest of his crowd that's following, with all the pilgrims, is a hard one. Uh, I haven't been there myself, but as I was reading, I saw that it's a physically hard walk at the beginning. That the elevation changes. You go from 800 feet below sea level to 3,000 feet above sea level in just a span of 12 miles. So you're constantly ascending up to Jerusalem. This story is important. It's one of the only stories. There's two stories found in all four Gospels, and this is one of them. Because this is a story of a king. This is a story of Jesus, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, ascending to Jerusalem. This is the time that he's finally willing to let the world know who he is. Throughout the Book of Mark, we've seen that Jesus constantly, constantly telling people. It's called the Markian secret that he tells them. They say, "Oh, you're the, you're the Messiah." He says, "Don't tell him." He heals someone and says, "Don't share that with anybody." He rids them of demons and he says, "Keep it quiet." But now, now everything's different. The situation hasn't changed. The situation's the same, which is, if people found out that he was the Messiah, if word got out about the miracles, if word got out about the healings, about his teaching, then the Jewish leadership would be upset. They would think that someone is trying to overthrow their leadership, and they would try to find ways to kill him. If there is this proclamation that there's a new king in town, the Romans would be upset, thinking that it's a threat to Caesar, and they would try to kill him. So up to this point, he's kept this message, tried his best to keep it a secret. But not now. Nothing has changed about the situation. What has changed is the timing. They're headed to Passover. Passover is the time that that they celebrate when a sacrificial lamb was killed and and remembered for the sins of the people, and they and they left the the grips of Egypt. And so, there's this time that they celebrate this forgiveness of their sins, the very thing that Jesus will do for all the Jews, for all the Gentiles, for all of mankind, for the rest of time, for you and me, if we choose to accept. And so it's Passover time in Jerusalem. The timing has changed, and Jesus is willing to proclaim he's king. Because if the Jews are upset, if the Romans are upset, it doesn't matter. He knows his time has come to an end. He knows that this is basically a a death march as he marches towards Jerusalem, and he's willing to do it for you and me. And so we pick up on this this story of this king of peace coming to Jerusalem. When you look at different religions, there's no uh, more stark difference between Islam and Christianity than the the entrance of their prophet and the entrance of their leader. For Muslims, uh, Muhammad entered Mecca. When he entered Mecca, he was on a war horse and he was surrounded by 400 mountain men and 10,000 foot soldiers. And he entered in and he took over the city and anyone that fought him, they killed and they vanquished right away. And he laid siege to the city and he said that he was the victor. And his sword is still, his, his reported sword is still on display in Istanbul, Turkey. He came through with victory, with force, with power. And as we just read, here was a different king. A humble king that came in on a donkey. A symbol of peace. A king that came in to praises and singing. The king that came in to people laying down palm trees. That those that opposed him will see ended up killing him. This is a different king. This is a peaceful king. This is a humble king. But make note, this is not a weak king. Because this king knows that his destiny is in a week he's going to die. And he knows at any moment he could overthrow this. At any moment he could just change. He could leave Jerusalem. At any moment he could cast down angels to to get rid of all the the Jewish leaders that are going to end up putting him in, in trial. At any moment he could break free from the chains that the Romans put him in. This is a king that is willing, willing to do this for you and for me. And so this passage begins. There's first four words, as they approach Jerusalem... At this point, we got to kind of stop because I want you to to get a glimpse of this. As we said, there's pilgrims from all over ascending to Jerusalem. And so there's a group of Psalms, Psalm 120 through 134. It's called the Psalms of Ascent. And these psalms are ones that they would recite as they came up to the mountain. These psalms are are beautiful ones that are proclaiming the glory of God. Look at a couple of the verses. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. The hills, right? We're seeing the hills of Jerusalem. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. 122, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Remember, they're all going to Jerusalem. Our feet are standing at your gate, O Jerusalem. 125, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. 125, verse 3, may the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, bless you from Zion. Zion was another name for Jerusalem. That they are ascending to Jerusalem, and so there's these praises. And so the whole crowd gathers, and and they're walking, and they begin to recite this. And and they're not just saying these psalms. These psalms are ones that they all have memorized, not just in their heads, but in their hearts. You know, Connie mentioned that he's got 9,000 songs. and, And if you mention a song to Connie, he has it on his phone already. He has those ingrained in him. These songs were ingrained. They, these psalms were often put to a tune, and, and somehow they all knew the songs. Pilgrims from all over, from every country, every corner, knew the same, same tune to these psalms. They'd been passed down from grandparent to parent to, to child. From generation to generation, they knew these songs. And so it, these first four words, as they came to Jerusalem... They're big words because it paints a picture, not just of a visual of ascending, but of an auditory. So if you will with me, we're going to just pretend that we're ascending to Jerusalem. If you'll stand. All right. We got, uh, so we have this audio recording. Uh, It's in Hebrew. Um, I expect you all to sing along. Um, it is the song, one of the songs of ascent, and so imagine that this is going on as you're walking. So maybe even pretend to walk, just walk where you're going in place. All right, we are walking up to Jerusalem, and we have this song. I think we have it? Otherwise, I'm gonna have to start singing in Hebrew. Oh, there we go. All right, someone's got a guitar or whatever they had back then, and we're going. All right, here it comes. And you're walking, and you're marching. Oh, yeah, that's right. And so remember, you've learned this from your grandparents. you learned this from your parents. You're this when you were a little child, and you are excited to teach it to your child. And so you're holding your child's hand, and you look down, and you're like, are you ready, buddy? Are you ready? And then everyone comes in. Here we go. And we're seeing this as we walk up to, to Jerusalem. And everyone's doing it. And then Starts getting louder and louder as it is. Here's the good part that I want to see all of you do it. If you're doing it at home, I hope you join us. You're watching Ready? now it's time to dance. All right, and so it gets quiet. So, if you guys want to speak, so you're ascending this mountain, this is a big deal. Unfortunately, they didn't have inhalers back in that time, nor did I bring mine up here. Definitely something I should have practiced earlier. So, if anyone's got a prevental, throw it on up. All right. So, chapter 11, verse 1. As they approach Jerusalem, I I really need to lose weight, too. That was a bad plan. But I listened to that song. I was doing this in my office when I was writing this, and I heard that, and I just got up, and I was dancing. But I didn't get that into it. So, now I know. Second hour. Bring my inhaler. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. Just as you enter it, you'll find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. So this, he's doing this to fulfill a prophecy. Jesus, throughout his life, throughout his death, fulfills hundreds and hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. And this is one of them. Zechariah 9.9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughters Jerusalem. Thanks, buddy. All right. I, was, I heard Sarah's laugh. I was like, oh, I hope she's in here. All right. This message is going to get a lot better here in a second. All right. Does anyone else? Anyone? I saw a few dancers. Anyone else need some of this? All right. Okay. Rejo- Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Mark doesn't quote this verse like, like Matthew and, and Luke does because Mark's writing to Gentiles. Gentiles don't care about this prophecy. They don't know about it. But it's very important that he goes. He fulfills this prophecy, even to the smallest part, on how the king would enter the city. It's not the first time Jesus has been to Jerusalem. It's the first time in Mark. But we see in the book of John, he's been to Jerusalem several times before. He's been to Bethany and Bethpage, and so he has friends there. This is where Mary, Martha, Lazarus, all are from. And so he sends this message ahead to be able to get the donkey. And when they find out that it's for Jesus, they're willing to let him do anything. Oh, it's for Jesus? Take the donkey. It's for Jesus? Take everything. You want some food? Do you need some, something to drink? Whatever you need. If it's for our Lord and Savior, take it. So says, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. I love this part. Again, we're, we're getting this from Mark, who was getting it from Peter. And so you assume Peter must have been one of the disciples that went, because he has all these details that it was tied to a doorway. And he shares the interaction. And Peter goes, and it's just how Jesus had proclaimed it would be. All throughout this story, as we get ready for the final week of Jesus' life, know that this is all for a reason, this is all on purpose. Just as Jesus had predicted this would happen, it does. And let us not overlook the disciples here. Think about it. You've been sent on this message. Hey, there's going to be a donkey there right when you enter the city. Tell them that you, can ha- that you want it for your Savior, and they're just going to give it to you. I'd be like, Jesus, you're crazy. How would you even know the donkey's there? They're not going to give it to me. They're going to arrest me for donkey theft. It's going to be bad news. And so, Jesus, I'm not going to do this. But these disciples were faithful that even in the midst of what seems crazy, even in the midst of what seems like an insane idea, how would Jesus know this? They're faithful to follow. They're faithful to what Jesus is calling them to do. We often criticize the disciples for not understanding, but look at this, they still follow even when they don't understand. There's no way they would have known that that was gonna happen for sure, but they were still faithful to follow. How often do we wait for everything to make sense? For us to know all the details, us to know all the plans before we finally bring this together, before we finally follow God. The Disciples are a great example to us that sometimes we just need to step out on faith, that it might not make sense and it might even seem crazy, but we need to follow what Jesus is calling us to do. Verse 7 says, when they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. This idea of a donkey was a symbol for kings to come in in peace. When they would go out to war, they would leave the city, they would leave the capital, leave the, the castle on a, on a war horse. But when they entered back after they were victorious, they came in on a donkey. They came in representing peace. They came in representing victory. So Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, already the victor. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they cut on the field. It talks about this long processional. Those that are in front and those that are behind, this is like a parade. And everyone's excited that the Messiah is here. The word has spread about Jesus. Remember, there are Jews coming from all over the region. They are colliding on Jerusalem. And here is the one they've heard whispers about for three years. They've heard whispers about his miracles, about healings, about curing people from demon possession. They've heard about his amazing teaching, that he teaches with this authority, that they've never seen a teacher teach like this before. The word has got out that this is the Messiah. This is finally the answer they've been waiting for. The one that's going to come and set them free is coming to Jerusalem. You know how rumors spread, and they spread through the city. Did you hear? Jesus, I heard he's about a day away. The the one that heals everyone, he's he's a half a day's journey. The one that, the miracle worker, that great teacher, he's just outside the city gate now. Let's go see him. And so this parade comes. And I can just picture that someone sees this colt, sees Jesus coming on a colt, and there's this little puddle of mud, and they don't want even the mud to splash up on their Savior, and so they take off their coat and they put it down. Others see that act and see another puddle, and they take off theirs, and before you know it, the entire road is lined with coats. Those that don't have coats go and pull off branches and lay them down to protect the donkey's journey. As we talk about this minor miracle of Jesus knowing that the donkey was there, don't forget the minor miracle that Jesus is able to control this donkey. says a colt that's never been broken is now being ridden calmly by a man with everyone coming and throwing things in his way, walking on a path that's new and unstable with clothing and branches, and it's walking peacefully as that Jesus enters the town. And the crowd begins to cry out, Hosanna! Hosanna Hosanna means to cry out to God for help and to praise the king. It means those two things. So some of them are crying out, oh, Jesus, help us, save us. Others are crying out, Jesus, you're the king, you're the Messiah. Either way, they're crying out, Hosanna. And it says here in verse 9, those who went ahead and those who followed. So everywhere around, back and forth, are shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. What a shout. Look at that. If we can leave that up there. The first line is Hosanna, praising God and crying for help. The second line was a way to say welcome. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Welcome you to the city. We're glad you're here, Messiah. Then the proclamation That would shake the the foundation of the Jewish leaders. The proclamation that would rattle and, and light up the ear of the Roman guards. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. We're glad you're here, our new king. Caesar's not our king. This is our king. This one coming in on a donkey is our king. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is from the line of David. And the Jewish Pharisees and the Sadducees hear this and they get upset. They say, how can they proclaim he's the king? How can they say he's the Messiah? The Romans watching this um, because there's tons of guards that have come to Jerusalem as well. There's a worry that there would be uh, an overthrow. There's worry with all these Jews that there would be a crazy zealot that would light up a rebellion. And so the Rome, Rome would send many guards to Jerusalem at the time of Passover as well. And so surely... This has caught the ear of the Roman leadership as they hear everyone in this parade from those behind and those ahead proclaiming, this is the new king. It's no longer Caesar. And then they proclaim, Hosanna in the highest heaven. Remember, Hosanna means to cry out to help. Help from the highest heaven. Hosanna means to praise God. Praise God in the highest heaven. This proclamation, this parade is a beautiful thing to see. Just imagine you're there. That's why we played the music, because I just wanted to set you in the setting. We've been seeing as we've ascended. You're excited. You see friends from, that you haven't seen from last year, and you get together and you give them hugs. You see how much each one's kids have grown. You've caught up. You see your family members over a hill and you say we're going to see them once we get to Jerusalem and we're ascending we're singing we're part of this crowd and the word has got out that Jesus is here and so you meet at the city gate and this parade has lined up and from the beginning to the end from Bethany to the city gates Jesus is riding in on this colt and people are praising God proclaiming he's the king this is huge Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. That's where Jesus leaves us, or this is where Mark leaves us with this story kind of in suspense. I would assume that Jesus went back to Bethany and there he gathered his disciples and he prayed. Jesus knows what's ahead. We've looked before at chapter 10. He he mentions that he's headed to death. That the Pharisees are going to come capture him. The Romans will kill him. But he will conquer death and he will raise again. And so he meets with the disciples in a group in Bethany. And with the other close people. And he prays for what's ahead. Because this is going to be a hard week. This is going to be a hard, a hard future. He's going to be captured. He's going to be beaten. He's going to hang on a cross. And He's going to die. He's preparing by praying. It's a great example for all of us as we face struggles and hardships, as we face struggling things, that to come and first prepare ourselves before the Lord, to pray for his strength, pray for his peace, to gather other people and ask them to pray with us as we face this obstacle together and again we see the disciples they're still with him at this they've heard his teachings they know this is a suicide run and we criticize the disciples and we'll see later when the going gets tough they finally all hide out in their various places but they're still with him right now they could have bailed they could have said we're not in this jesus We don't want to be part of this. What if we end up getting hurt? What if we what if people criticize us? What if people come after us? And they still are by Jesus' side. And they're there with him praying. I love this story because Jesus, all along throughout the book of Mark, Mark has had this theme of him telling people don't tell, shh, don't tell I'm the king. Don't tell I'm the Messiah. It's our little secret. I healed you, but just go and be quiet, don't tell. But here, he proclaims to the world. Jesus is willing to say, I am the king. Throughout the Old Testament, we see all kinds of prophets that they would not only speak verbally with the proclamations, but they would often act them out to make this proclamation more clear that it is was, was a visual illustration, that the illustrations are more uh, impactful when you see it. We see this example in 1 Kings chapter 11, then uh, 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 Ahaziah took hold of the new cloak he was wearing and tore it into 12 pieces. He then took it to Jeroboam. Take 10 for yourselves, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. So he takes his shirt and rips it into 12 pieces to symbolize what he could have just simply said. We even see it at different times that God, and these are God's promptings, these illustrations. He tells Ezekiel to cook bread over burning dung. To to represent that the filth that Israel has become tells Hosea to go and marry a prostitute to show the example of the love that God has for the people that keep turning away from him. And so throughout the Bible, throughout the time, God has used these illustrations to proclaim a message that words simply couldn't do. And this is what we see in this passage. Jesus could have said, I am the king, I am the Messiah. He could have come and proclaimed that just on the city gates. He could have passed out business cards, Jesus, Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords, Messiah. He could have done that, but instead, he lets this proclamation be a visual illustration as he rides in peace on a donkey, as he allows the crowds to proclaim, Hosanna, help From the highest. He allows him to no longer keep this a secret, but to have this conquering, victorious entry. This isn't the first time Jerusalem has seen an entry like this. The last time they saw it was about 150 years earlier. In 167 BC, there was a powerful Syrian king, uh, Antiochus. And Antiochus had his mission to bring the Greek world to uh, everywhere that Greek Greek reigned. And to bring this Greek world of influence, of culture, of religion, uh, of language. To bring it and to force it upon all the people that they were over. And so he came to Palestine and he forced it among the people. And so for a while it was illegal to have a copy of the law to have a copy of the Old Testament. For a while, it was illegal to to circumcise your son. It would be punishable upon death if you followed the Jewish traditions. For a time, it it was so bad that Antiochus came in the temple and he raided the temple and he destroyed much of the temple. And he then took pig's blood and put it on the altar, which would have just been a devastation to these Jewish people. The, The chambers around the Holy of Holies he used for prostitution just And then he had them worship Zeus in the midst of God's sovereign area. He was doing this to force this Greek influence. And so Judas Maccabees rose up. God brought up this person, Judas Maccabees, and Judas Maccabees led this revolt. And he was a brilliant tactician, and he came, and he was able to force out Antiochus and be able to reclaim the land. And they were, eventually would rebuild the temple and repurify the temple. But when Judas Maccabees comes back into Jerusalem, he comes in riding on a donkey, and there's this peaceful parade. This story is the story of Hanukkah. If you're familiar with Hanukkah and the the candles, this is from that story when they had this battle. And so as they come, and so as he came in, this was the last time someone came in, was a victorious leader of the Jewish people. And then it hasn't happened since. 150 later's. 150 years later, spontaneously, the people, I think, led by God, throw the same victorious parade because the king is here. Many believe Psalm 118 is inspired from the story from Maccabees. And see this, verse 25, I'll just read a few verses from Psalm 118. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Does it sound familiar? And from the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, palms, with bows in hand, join in the festival procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Maccabees rode in victoriously, and they, this is, inspired this psalm. And here's Jesus. Riding in victoriously on a colt, on a donkey, into Jerusalem. Because the king is here. 150 years ago, they proclaimed a victor victory, and they're sharing this. His love endures forever. Here, 150 years later, they're proclaiming the king is here. So, what's that mean to us today? We are not just proclaiming the king has arrived. We're not just hoping that, we're not just crying out, God, bring us help. Praises to God. Hosanna. We know the help has come, that he has conquered death. He has conquered death on a cross. He is buried and he rose again three days later. The stone has been removed and we are set free. We are forgiven of our sins. How much more do we have to proclaim? Hosanna. This crowd doesn't even know what's to come. They don't even know they're about to be saved. They don't even know that Jesus is going to die for each one of them and then raise again for each one of them and conquer their sins. And we have that vic- victorious knowledge. We have the victory of Jesus. We have reasons to proclaim this Psalm 118. It begins, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. As they sing these songs of ascent as they come to Jerusalem, they're praising God. As you crest over at the Mount of Olives, you see Jerusalem. You see this place where God has come and met the people. You see this place where they have sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. You see this place where they commune with God. The very thing that Jesus is for us. And as we come to him, we see the one that has come and resides with us. We see the one that forgives our sins. We see the one that communes with us. The Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside us as we accept him. As Cheyenne lives her life knowing that she's been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And forever the Holy Spirit will reside in her, will guide her, will direct her, will love her. She will never be alone. Jesus is with her always. What a wonderful victory. What a wonderful reason to proclaim Hosanna. We see this story and it's one that should, to get us excited, one that should light our fire. As we see this story, it raises some questions of various points throughout this story. Perhaps one question might be, where, what do we do with our belongings? Remember back goat, the donkey owner? Someone had to say, oh, it's for Jesus. You can have it. Whatever Jesus wants, let it be his. Are we doing that with our life, with our belongings, with our possessions, with our money, with with our time, with our passions? Jesus, if it's for you, whatever you want, you can have it. It's yours. Take it. Let this be yours. Perhaps are we like those disciples? (laughs) That is not completely clear. It doesn't even make sense, and it seems a little crazy what God's calling us to do. But if it's for Jesus, we're going to do it. If it's for Jesus, we're going to follow. And we don't know how this ends, but, but we're willing to follow and trust that Jesus knows best with our lives, with our story, with where we're headed. That perhaps this is a story that we're like that crowd. and That we need to take off our coats and lay down our palm branches and just humble ourselves before the king. We get so caught up in our our own story and in our own situation and our own things, maybe in our own baggage, that we just need to take off and, and lay before the king. Spend some time worshiping him to say that there's a king that's more important than what I have going on. Let me just stop and worship him. What's this story mean to you? How can we proclaim Hosanna? In a minute, the, the worship band's gonna come up and we got two more songs and, and I just pray that we can sing. That if you wanna dance like I did, I got an inhaler, you can do it. That we, we can dance, that we can enjoy, that we can praise God. That we can sing Hosanna. If you'll stand with me right now, if if you're watching at home, wherever you're watching, I I saw several people giving a shout out. There's lots of people on vacation, so we're all jealous. Uh, Those of you at Hilton Head right now, those of you in Virginia, those of you at all these different places, stand up with us and join us together as we proclaim Hosanna in the highest. Let us start. By singing by proclaiming these verses from Psalm 118, if you will. I'm gonna read a line and then you guys say his love endures forever. And say it loud, right? Say it as if we're ascending up the mountain. We're coming up to meet God, we're coming up to meet Jesus. This is what we're doing when we worship. We are praising our Lord. And so, if you will, join me. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Let Israel say. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. He is our king and his love endures forever. God, we thank you that you are our king and that your love endures. And God, if there's someone here that doesn't know that love, God, I just pray that they come and speak to one of us. Let us be able to reach out and tell them about this victory about this king that has entered into Jerusalem, but entered into our lives, into into our hearts, that conquered death, that conquered Satan, conquered our sins. God, we praise you for what you've done. We thank you for your love. In your name, amen.